What's up, everybody? We are back live, episode 19, um, and really excited for today's guest. We managed to get uh, Aljamain Sterling out from Las Vegas, fresh off a win. Always, as usual, just want to say thank you for making time and coming out to beautiful San Diego to uh, sit down with us. Yeah, for sure. San Diego is a fun city, for sure. First time out here? Second. Second time. Yeah. Okay. I came out for a couple of days last year. Mm. Now I'm back. Yeah, so I'm going to follow up that uh, the thank you with sorry for last night. Um, <laughs> because, you know, we, we really got to hosting a little bit too quick and uh, dinner turned into drinks. And um, I think we're feeling a little bit today. But uh, we got to see a little bit of San Diego last night. So um, it's, all, it's all in good cause. Yeah, uh, definitely a little bit of a rough morning, but so far so good. I think I recovered just a little bit, so I think uh, we're just going to power through, and there's a lot of day left for us to uh, conquer. Absolutely, man. Definitely, and we we managed to get Alan back on the podcast today. Back, man. Took a little hiatus at the handle of the the family front, but I'm good to go, man. I'm excited because you know how big of a fan I am. Not Not just of MMA in general, but this guy right here sitting my left and i'm excited about this man uh i'm a big fan i know a lot about you but i want to you know hear more get more in depth from you so thank you thank you i appreciate the conversation hey and i i admitted last night and i'll tell you this on on air is uh, i said as much as we we go back and forth on our mma knowledge i told him last night you you definitely have a you hold a cup to me so um, i'm excited i'm excited to get around to that um but i mean as always we like to go we like to go back quote unquote in the weeds and really talk and i know you got a, a great history and and we've had um uh, the honor to sit down with one or two other people in the MMA um, industry, and that that grind and that journey story is is totally unique and different from not that anybody else's story isn't any harder. And there's a, there's a lot of uh, challenges along the way, but I know even last night catching up on on currently where you're at and you're really at the top right now. There's a there's a lot of work and a lot of decision making that has to be on point and disciplined. Um, so we like to really go back and talk about. Uh, you know, how it all, all got started. I know you got a unique story, and, and thanks to Maddie for giving us a little bit of insight on that. Shout Maddie Rich. <laughs> um, said it kind of started with a roundabout way uh, of going into basketball, and basketball led to, be- to wrestling. Yeah, so um, I was always an athlete. You know, I played a lot of pickup sports, soccer, baseball, football, everything that you could possibly think of. And, uh, you know, I, I always was told from my doctor that I would be this six-foot Six, six foot eight guy. Mm. I was like, yeah, you're, you know, you're going through the grown pains and all that, the Oscar Slaughters. And uh, it didn't quite work out like that, you know. <laughs> I get to ninth grade, it's freshman year, and I'm thinking, like, you know, I'm too small to try out for the team. Uh, so I don't try out. I just play pickup basketball every single day, religiously, working out, mm. um, lifting at the school, and uh, just playing basketball with my friends, thinking that that was going to be enough. Because I couldn't afford, like, a like a – like one of those basketball camps, you know, you go to yeah. one of those and then normally you come back into a different person. Hopefully that's yeah. like the goal. So, you know, my training camp was basketball after school with my friends and that quite didn't work out the way I thought it was going <laughs> to. So my sophomore year, I made the first day of tryouts. Uh, second day, uh, I was cut. Mm. I asked why, whatever, but I, I kind of already knew why the guys were just better. And I was just really small. It's like this five foot three guy. Right. And uh, the coach tried to get me out for the wrestling team. Every almost every week in high school as a freshman, and I just never liked it. I thought it was like, you know, back then we would call it, as we would say, like kind of like it's like the gay thing because you know, obviously two guys in a singlet or whatnot. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it was like very like my family would never had accepted that coming from like a Caribbean background. So it was like 
I don't even know what I'm looking at. I don't mm-hmm. understand the scoring. I didn't understand the sport whatsoever. And they're wearing these singlets, these onesies. And I'm looking at them like, dude, I, I, I don't understand how I could feel comfortable wearing that. But fast forward, I, I come out, I get cut. And the basketball coach told me to go try out for wrestling, go talk to Godoy. I talked to him and he just goes, you know what? Just come out for the team, try out. Uh, if you don't like it, you don't ever have to hear from me again. So I came down. I fell in love with the sport. Oh, and I was cool. wearing shorts and a t-shirt. I was like, oh, I can get used to this. <laughs> but then the whole singlet thing, that kind of took a while to like grow on me a little bit. I did feel jacked. And I was like, I kind of feel kind of <laughs> good. But um, yeah, my parents didn't really understand it. They thought it was kind of a, a weird thing. Mm. They didn't know. It just looked like two guys rolling around grabbing each other. You know, so, you know, you don't understand the scoring system. And then once I learned that, it started to make more sense. And I was like, okay, this is like just combat sports. You know, one versus one. You get in what you put in. So I really appreciated that and loved it. And from there, I just fell in love with with wrestling. And um, actually, that's where I met Maddie Rich along the way, just competing. Mm. You know, so I got a pretty late start. But like like I said, I, I'm I'm one of those guys who's all in or or not. You know, I'm not going to half ass do something. You know, so totally. I get in there and I just dive all the way in mm-hmm. and uh, put in a lot of off season hours and times going to wrestling tournaments and stuff like that. And I couldn't even afford those things. You know, I had people. Who, kind of helped me out a lot, you know, financially, yeah. picking me up, taking me to these tournaments. And Matty Rich was one of those guys, his his parents, you know, so I was able to drive to his house and they would take me all the way out to Suffolk because we qualified for the Empire State team for, for New York. You know, so that was a good time, cool. man. And uh, we became pretty good friends from there. You, you, have, you have a handful of siblings too, right? Yeah, I'm a... 20 siblings, 20 siblings. Wow, it's, Jesus. it's a wild, wild west. Are, are any other wrestlers? Household. Um, my younger, my two younger brothers. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And then, and basketball anywhere in the family now still? Everyone thought they were basketball players. We all thought <laughs> we could play basketball. We all thought we we're going to go to the NFL and just, and growing up, that's just kind of all, you know, you know, my parents born and raised in Jamaica, their, their parents as well. Oh, wow. My dad played some soccer. I don't know if he ever played like organized, but I know he was pretty good. Cause whenever we play, like I can tell like levels of talent. I don't know if it would have been like world-class, but he was pretty good with handling the ball. And uh, we just never had those opportunities to go branch out and try other stuff. So it was always a basketball or a football you yeah. know, in, um, in our community. Yeah, yeah was, was there a point, because as an athlete, you're, you're self-aware enough where you realize, hey, I'm pretty good at this. Was there a, a point, like, was it in high school or was it after high school that you're like, damn, dude, I'm good at, at wrestling? Oh, yeah, 100%. Uh, I would say it happened my first year of wrestling, 10th grade, and um, – we had the qualifying tournament. The qualifying tournament gets you to the Nassau County tournament, which is the state qualifier. Mm. So you qualify to go to the state qualifier, and then you compete at states. So the qualifying tournament, I was winning a match against a kid who was a returning all-county kid, top six in the county, and number one goes to states. So I'm winning the match, a couple points. I have him cradled up. I didn't know I could pin myself. I had him cradled and I lean on my back. I, I pin myself, whatever. Then mm-hmm. the next match, I bounce back and I face another kid. And we talk. I beat him for third and fourth. So I get the third place finish. And he asked me, like, my background, how long I've been wrestling. I said, dude, this is my first year wrestling. And it's like, I asked him, how long have you been wrestling? He said, since he was like five or six, something like that. Wow. And I was like, <laughs> and my, I didn't know how to respond because I'm like, <laughs> Did I just shit on this kid's career? I don't, you know, <laughs> yeah, I don't this know. Is awkward. 
Yeah. <laughs> Self-realization moment for him. <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's kind of like, you know, I just, I'm just a very fast learner. You know, obviously I think I was born with a few, a few gifts, you know, I was strong. I can move well. I understand movement. I think I just have an eye for movement patterns better than some. Like, mm -hmm. I understand combat and distance and things like that, where some people might be better at hand-eye coordination. I wasn't the best baseball player. I wasn't the best basketball player. Like the whole elbow wrist snap i couldn't yeah. really get that down yeah. you know but i could play a hell of a defensive spot i could lock you down that's about it you know mm -hmm. so it just kind of made sense and from there once i found out that i was like dude man i couldn't really make something of this if i just put some time in and uh that's what i did mm. wrestling's got a, a crazy amount because I, I always played basketball and, and the wrestling team practiced at the same time yep, yep. and the amount of discipline and physical and and, and i imagine mental workout is is on another level and jumping from like getting out of high school to college it's crazy because I know when we had when we had Phil on here, he was talking about, you know, the practice he got into and how he like it was hard to even focus on like schoolwork or like curriculum there because it just it consumes you, especially in season. Yeah. 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 Um, cutting weight is a big part of it. Mm. And uh, pretty much my entire career has always been the story of how much weight I can cut. You know, even now, sometimes I'm walking around 168, 170. Wow. Wow. And I fight at 135. Yeah. You know, so a lot of people, they don't understand how much discipline really does go into it. And I can attest to what Phil Davis was saying. Being a college man, you got a full schedule, you're a full-time student, and you're not just a student, you're a student athlete. And to be a student athlete for wrestling, you're getting up early in the morning to do your morning lifts, your morning runs with the team, and you still have to take three, four classes in a day. So it, it can get very, very overwhelming. Um, so, you know, praise to the guys who can get it done because to cut 20 pounds yeah. week after week after week. And I didn't know anything about dieting. I was just like, I just starved myself. So I would get to class and just fall asleep. Have to put on a, a recorder or Fuck. just try to take as many notes as I can or try to just make up for it over the weekend, just kind of just cramming it all in. I don't know how I did it. When I look back at it, I'm like, <laughs> this, that was insane. Like yeah, what we yeah. did was really crazy. Yeah. And then at the same time, after my last season as a wrestler, in, uh, in college, I went pro. So mm. now I'm cutting even more weight because I went up my senior year. I went up a weight class because I just couldn't do the weight cut no more. It was just way too, too. What were you wrestling at? What weight? Uh, 33 for okay. the first three years. And then my senior year, I wrestled 141. The athletic trainer told me, he's like, I'm not allowing you to go back down. It's just not healthy, not safe, not yeah. the smart thing to do. And I was like, thank you because you're saving me for myself because <laughs> going back down would have been probably the death of me. I don't know. You know, that, it was just a what you're willing to do to just kind of achieve a goal, you know, put your body through and you have to be mentally strong enough to kind of endure that type of. Totally. It's damage. I, honestly, it's really damage to go. It's like this yo-yo effect, just up and down, up and down with your weight mm -hmm. and to, to bounce back. It's a, it's a really hard thing to do. But then going pro, it was a little bit worse because now I'm wrestling 141. But now I'm pro. I'm going, cutting back down to 135. Sure, yeah. You know, so it's uh it's been a very interesting ride to say the least yeah so before we dive too much into into the sports side of thing i don't want to gloss over the the 20 siblings uh <laughs> number like talk to me about that because that's why yeah. yeah it's uh my dad was um he got around he was active he was active <laughs> very active <laughs> you know he was um world class in another area but yeah uh, mm. <laughs> uh, yeah he had like five different baby mothers my mom alone had 10 kids so I have seven full siblings from her, and the other two are my halves, and then everybody else, they're all halves. So it was like a kind of like a war zone, man, especially for, like, food and stuff, right. or trying to watch the TV. Whoever woke up first got the remote. You were a control of TV. 
um, we would always say, and if you want to watch a show and you want to go to the bathroom, you couldn't leave and you couldn't keep the remote, oh, man. you know? So it was like, can you hold the remote for me? And I'll come back. And it was either they were going to grant you back access to being like the king of the remote for, for that time frame, <laughs> or you're getting into a fight because you weren't getting the remote back. So it was a lot of, there was a lot of battles, man. And looking back at it, it's pretty funny. I, I don't remember a lot of good growing up, if that makes sense, but no, definitely. How, yeah. long, how long was it before, like, the rest of your family took notice to how good you were at wrestling? And they said, okay, you know, maybe we should pay attention to him a little bit more. Like, I don't think they even realized how good I was. I was mm-hmm. ranked in the state my senior year. You know, this is from two years of wrestling. The year mm-hmm. My junior year, I was ranked in the county, and uh, I choked. Well, you know, I choked. I lost in the first round of the state qualifier. And I was, a, I think, I, I believe I was a three or the fourth seed. I think it was a three seed in the tournament. I was, a, I was seeded at number three. Had a very good run, came up short, lost in the first round. We weren't giving Russell back opportunities. Senior year, come back. I destroy everybody, 42-2 and two record. And, you know, I lost in the finals, and I didn't qualify for states, mm. losing to the kid I beat the week before. And I beat him early in the season as well. So it was just, I don't think they realized what they had on their hands. It was more so me telling them to come out. And uh, just coming from the Caribbean background, man, I, they didn't really they didn't really take a liking to it. So it wasn't like something they understood or it couldn't make me money. That was yeah, the main yeah. thing my dad would say. It's like, can you make money from that? I'm like, no, but I could get a scholarship to go to school if I do well. Mm. And I, I didn't have the great the grades, but I think he, they probably came out to two of my high school, maybe three, maybe three of my matches. Oh, wow. Do you think you at least kind of helped um, open the eyes of your siblings that there are other opportunities out there, you know, outside of what, you know, your, your own scope. Do you think that that kind of helped them as well? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think now they, they look at it and, and realize we aren't just, we shouldn't just confine ourselves to a box. It's kind of like think bigger, you know, and that's one of the things I try to preach to them. I have a couple of siblings still in school, high school. And uh, my dad actually with a new lady, because they, my mom and my dad are going through a divorce right now. Um, he just had a newborn. He's 60 years old. The guy is crazy. Oh, my God. <laughs> the kid is about to be two years old in, uh, in August. And I'm like, this guy is out of control. I don't understand oh, what man. makes you think, like, you didn't show any TLC to your kids growing up with the 20, pretty much like the 18 of them that he has. Mm. And now you're bringing another kid into the world. I just hope you do better. But from what I see from the outside, looking at it, it's still kind of like, Rinse and repeat, you know. Yeah. He just wasn't really there, like, emotionally. He wasn't really there, like, teaching you how to become a man. You know, I kind of just learned how to mm-hmm. do that on my own and learning from my wrestling coaches and people in high school just kind of picking their brains, you know. Good thing I was smart enough to realize what was going on in my surroundings and not fall into that same trap. I think that's what made the difference. But it, it was it was kind of... At home, at home in between your siblings, like how far, uh, as far as oldest kids, were you in the middle, were you youngest? Um, I think I'm the seventh oldest. Seventh oldest. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. So there's uh, you... 37 and now one and a half years old. Okay. <laughs> now, now with the position you're in with the UFC and in your career, have you kind of slid into a role model or did it maybe happen sooner, like a role model position with everybody in the family? I think so without them actually saying it. Yeah, I don't yeah. think we've actually had a conversation of like them saying like openly saying to me like either they were proud or excited or I, you can just kind of tell from just talking with them that you know I know they're happy you know obviously they know I'm making good money and stuff mm-hmm. like that and you know my sister was telling me that I wasn't a celebrity and I was like 
I was like, I don't know. I was like, well, I was on TMZ twice. I was like, I think that counts for something, right? <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. So I guess to them, they don't always, they don't really look at me like that. Mm. So when they see other people responding to me in certain ways, they, and then they kind of step back and realize like, oh shit, this is actually like a real thing. Like you're not like, yeah, yeah, this is real. But like you're actually in the position that you're in. There's a silver lining though in that where, that kind of keeps you grounded because they're going to treat you the same no oh, yeah. matter what. Yeah. You know, you're, you're, they're not going to treat you any differently. Uh, but what, what I wanted to ask though is, um, you know, given your success now and given how much, how many family members you have, how much responsibility do you feel towards like, you know, trying to take care of them? And because there are so many, how do you manage that as well? Because that's something that comes along with it. And I know yeah. it happens with all professional athletes to an extent, but this is not a unique. This is a very unique scenario where it's twenty mm-hmm. siblings, you know. Yeah, and it's not like we're getting paid the way MLB players get paid, right. basketball right. players, and football mm-hmm. players, soccer. You know, we could probably get a f- a small fraction of what they the top guys get in. And their, it's in a their smaller run. run as far as your career. You you don't have the extended twenty year careers like some other professional yeah, sports, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, I I think it's just trying to manage it the best way I can and. I know sometimes I get looked at as this. I was always the stingy one growing up. Everyone looked at me because my dad, he's, he was a street pharmacist. You know, he mm. did what he had to do to provide, but he was never there, you know, always hopping around late nights. And um, I really feel like when I look back at it, I, I almost feel like I'd never really seen him unless it was like once a month or something like that. He'll come drop off money to my mom, then go back to his wife. They got divorced, fast forward, and we move in with him. And even when we were living with him it was like we never really saw him he was just kind yeah. of like always doing his own thing and we just we just did whatever the hell we want for the most part but and i knew we weren't poor i knew we weren't rich and uh i think that was a, the, the tough part because everyone always saw the money coming in for my dad so it looked like we were always going to be okay but for me i i realized what was going on and I, and I always thought about it like i always played devil's advocate and i'm like well worst case scenario he gets caught up, he goes away, then who's yeah. bringing in the money? Yeah. You know, so I kind of smartened up at a very, very early age in high school, realizing, like, I got to make my, I got to be my own man, like, sooner than later, because this gravy train, it wasn't even a gravy train. It was just, like, just a lack of responsibilities. I think everyone had the false sense of security, because I guess my dad, talking to my brother and sister, they would always say that pops would always let them feel like they were rich, because he would tell them certain things like we have a house down here in Jamaica, blah, blah, blah. But none of that stuff is existent as far as I know, you know? Yeah. So it was like, good thing I recognized this early and realized I need to start building something for myself. Even though I was working for like $7 an hour, six fifty, six seventy five, like little things like that. But um, going back to what you were, uh, what you were saying, I think me being the stingy person growing up, they kind of look at it now like, wow, you know, your habits of, being tight with money, being mm-hmm. very, very frugal, got you to where you are. Because even now, I was able to buy two houses. I was able to buy my mom a house because I didn't spend my money that I made from fighting. When I live in New York, we're taxed out the ass. Yeah, you know? yeah. So that, we pay taxes for every single state we fight in. And then on top of that, I pay my expenses for training. I pay my managers. I pay my coaches. And any other miscellaneous things like just getting to the fight. Yeah. So you, that all comes off the top. And then I'm just left over with what I have. So... I, I lived with my teammates. I've lived in shitty rooms where all my mattresses and stuff got mildew on it and everything got destroyed. And I pretty much had to start with a, a clean slate of clothes. Damn. So I, you know, I've, I've had a very interesting ride. And I think now they've seen 
how I manage my money and being able to, to buy the two houses. I bought my house first because, you know, I learned it's always better to take care of you first. Mm-hmm. And then when you're in a position to help people, that's when Absolutely. things yeah. kind of like a face mask and a plane. Like if you're going down, you need oxygen. Put your mask on first before you right. help on mm-hmm. the other person. Um, so I kind of learned from that. And, uh, I, you know, I got a lot of heat. There was, there was some moments, man, where it was like, no one wanted anything to do with me because I was a stingy one. I had all this money that they thought that I had. And, yeah. uh, you know, everyone's kind of counting your pockets and not realizing what your, what your goal is or what your intentions are. But I know what I'm trying to do, you know. So some of that kind of gets lost, and especially it kind of goes back to the childhood where they only remember that. Like, oh, this guy's a stingy motherfucker, you know. So, yeah. um, like, nah, dude, I'm tr- I want to help everybody, but I got to get to a position where I can do that. I understand what I'm doing. You guys don't because you've never had responsibility of dealing with money and if you did you probably would have blown it you know mm-hmm. i've i've got some smart siblings but they do some dumb 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 shit where i just have to look at them like in what world did you think that made any type of sense when you could have asked me you could have asked anybody else but you just decided to kind of just do it on your own yeah yeah it's it's, it's see, on, sorry i was gonna say in in that way i see it. so me personally i grew up house where my parents got divorced when I was around 10 years old. Uh, my older sister, she was five years older than me. She moved out. I still had two young siblings, but I kind of realized the same thing that I was kind of on my own. I had to teach myself a lot of things. I was working, etc. By doing that, I kind of feel in retrospect, I kind of feel like I neglected my younger siblings and I wasn't there, you know, being that older brother that I should have been. And I, to this day, I regret it with you having, you know, six, mm you know, siblings underneath you, like, do you ever, like, feel like you could have done that? You could have, how do you deal with that? It's it's tough, man. Like, even when I was living with my dad, my parents, he just got out of jail. My parents were going through a divorce. Like, he just came out. My mom left the house. You know, he told the cops that she abandoned the kids. So the cops granted him a stay-away order. You know, she couldn't come back to the house. He used that for, like, child support. It, It was, like, stuff that a man should never do, which was very, very odd to watch and see how it kind of all unfolded. I was staying in the house. I was the only one working, which was fighting. Um, I was still a substitute teacher and um, he was trying to just charge me rent. I was like, you're not going to charge me rent and not charge anybody else. Well, they don't have a job. So make them get a job. You're not going to take my hard earned money and just would do decide to you know it was more of a spite thing i think because my mom he knew i was like on her side and uh i would go to train i would come home go straight to my room lock the door Mm. they wouldn't see me and my sisters would be out there playing and they're still in middle school they're growing and i'm like damn you know i'm like 24 25 at this point in my life and it, it was sad because i you know i want to spend more time with my sisters and you know have that bond that i have with my older brothers and sisters, but the younger ones, I, I never really got to share that bond with them. So now they're getting older. They're in high school. They're going to be juniors next year. And I'm like, damn, it's, it's so crazy how life just goes by like that. But I was on a mission, you know? Right. So I do look back at it like, I wish I was able to spend more time, but at the same time, I didn't want to take away from the focus of what I was trying to achieve. And um, I, I would only imagine what they feel or their perspective of how things were with me in terms of their relationship. But I think now they can kind of see what I worked so hard for. And uh, I think them seeing that, me being able to lend a hand in certain situations. And even my, my twin sisters now, they're going to be juniors next year. I incentivize them in, in, in school. And I, 
I told him every quarter that you get over, we started with a, a, like a 92 uh, average and you get $100. And mm-hmm. I told him from freshman year going, like coming out of middle school into freshman year. And I said, listen, I tried explaining how GPAs work. It's a cum. And I was like, if you start off good, you're in a great position. But if you start off bad, you're behind the eight ball. It's going to be extremely tough to pull your grades up. Mm-hmm. And they, they all try to do it. And then I realized the 92 might be a little too tough. So I, I brought it down to like an 89 just to give them that incentive. Like, this is a, a, achievable. I still want you to have fun and enjoy your, your high school years. But get your work done. Because at the end of the day, these scholarships are going to help pay for your schooling. Your friends, they're here now. You're never going to talk to these people again. Mm-hmm. All being the, the, the big class what do, what do you call it? What, I don't even know. Like, Big man on campus? Yeah, the, yeah. you know, the jock or whatever, yeah. the, the most popular. Um, you know, so I kind of incentivized them with that. One of them really, really took to it. And I just, I explained to her, I was like, just think, if you do what I'm telling you to do, every quarter you save up the money, you can use this money to buy your own car. You don't have to ask dad. You earn nope. it yourself. And uh, this is just, and you're going to have a good enough chance to get a scholarship to go to college. And you won't have to come out of pocket the way I did. And I tried, the twins, so I'm explaining to them, like, you got to keep up with her because if you don't, she's going to go away to somewhere fun, uh, Florida, mm-hmm. uh, Arizona, places that I always want to go to, uh, Ohio State. Um, and I, I try breaking it down because I'm like, if she leaves you, you know, that separation anxiety is going to it's going to kill you because you're going to oh, be like, yeah. damn, you're leaving me. You're going to feel abandoned. And, you know, I don't want that. I want them to be able to kind of have the option of, of being together if they choose to, you mm-hmm. know, so. The other one, she still kind of struggles a little bit, but the other one is um, very, very bright. I mean, they're, they're both smart, but the other one is more like into like, you know, the beauty and the makeup and hanging out with the friends. The other one hangs out, but mm. I, that's just my thing. I just try to keep my bond with them. This way I can check in like, hey, what were your quarter grades for this? this um, what were your grades for this quarter? So we can have some type of conversation where I'm not just sending a random text or calling them and then they're like, what do you want to talk about? There's nothing to talk about. You know, so, yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's just that relationship hasn't really been built, you know? So, yeah, it's funny you use the, the oxygen mask, uh, analogy. Cause I was told a long time ago too, cause I believe in that you got to take care of yourself if you're going to better anybody else. And in a, in a few years back, someone t- described it as, you know, filling your cup and you're, you're so prone to, especially when you have so many siblings and family that look up to you, you know, you want to give from your cup, but you got to make sure you fill it all the way up and then the overflow, give them the overflow. Otherwise you're just going to give and give and give and then you got uh. nothing left in the cup. And and going back on on what you were saying about um, you know watching your dad and street pharmacist, the first thing like that registers in my mind is that young you were able to make the acknowledgement like I'm not, I don't want to do that because it could have very easily been registered different to you being like if he's doing it then it's okay yeah there's money on the table like he's not in trouble well he might have been in and out of trouble yeah. but you very easily could have interpreted that as that's the route I want to go too. You yeah. know, like what, what do you think it was at that point? Cause that's young. That's when you're still like, you're, you're young, still trying to figure out what exactly, you know, how everything, how the clock ticks, like what part of you were just decide like, that is definitely not something I want to do. Yeah. Very impressionable age. Um, and there was a point where I thought that was the life for me, you know, the gang life, you know, I had a brother involved with the bloods. He did four years upstate, uh, mm-hmm. in New York. And, um, he came back a very, very different person. Like, a little bit unrecognizable when he first came out, you know, so that was kind of hard to see and take in. But um, uh, just, I think seeing him go to jail for the second time, well, the first time, it happened when he was, when we were kids. And then it happened again when I was a little bit older, I want to say around like middle school or something like that. 
and then, or maybe just getting into high school, and then it happened again while I was in college. And I mm. think at that point, uh, well, I think the one in high school is the one that made me realize, or middle school, whatever, whatever that range age was, made me realize like that's not this is not the wave at all. Yeah, yeah, you know. And, and I think part of it has to do with when we were coming up, my dad would make us count the money and uh, I would always fuck it up. Like my brothers were always so good at it. They would use the lotion. They're counting 20s, <laughs> $100 bills. You just see Benjamin Franklin's. I just like, I'm talking like hundreds of thousands of dollars. You know, Damn. as a young kid, you're seeing this and you just, it just becomes normalized. You're like, I guess this was just what everybody does. You know, mm. I didn't know it was like, you know, drug money, or I didn't know. I don't know what the hell I was looking yeah. at. I just knew he told me what to do, and that was it. And um, he would always call me stupid, always call me dumb. He told me you can't count for shit, and very a lot of belittling at a very very young age. And even to this day, it still like mm. trips me up. Like if I count money, I have to count it like three, four times. It could just be five twenty dollar bills, and I'm like, wait, was I sure that was a hundred? You know, yeah, yeah. I still have that like negative impression in my head from just my childhood with my totally my pops you know so stuff like that stuff like reading aloud because you're you're unsure if you're reading it correctly you and just a, it wasn't a very uh positive environment i i would say that but i think me realizing that wasn't a normal life for most people uh, I think that's what helped me recognize that early. I think him just going to jail that that one time that I was able to actually remember, I think that's what really triggered it and said like, uh-huh, so this isn't something that we should be doing because obviously you, you can get caught oh, yeah. and there are consequences. And in my head, I'm like, I'm small as hell. I ain't going to jail. <laughs> <laughs> that's, what I, that's what I honestly said, you know? So uh, I think sports was my outlet. I didn't have to hang out with my brother Um I did hang out with him sometimes and um, joining the gang with him was a very real possibility. And I'm glad I went the other route. And he kind of, I would say, I think he did kind of tell me like not to do it unless I was like 100% sure. That is the one thing I will say that he actually did for me. Because other than that, he was kind of a piece of shit growing up with. Uh, Stealing my shit all the time. Stole my bike, sold it. And then say, you know, just a lot of, we... It was the wild, wild west growing up. Any, anything goes, man. Right. You know, you get into a fight with one, you yeah, might be yeah. fighting off two or three of brothers or sisters at the same time. Like, we were jumping each other. It was it was a very interesting time growing up. But I, I, I will say, seeing that early made me realize, like, this is not the, the straight and narrow of what I want to do if I want to really, really get ahead or I could take the risk. And uh, I think him just being so negative really helped me shy away from it because I didn't want to mess up you know so totally. i just went the easier the way that i thought would be the easier route dude and, and i i have this conversation because i i don't have any kids but i got t- two nieces back in arizona and one's in teenage age and one's seven and man i attribute so much to playing sports that kept me like uh occupied busy and also like it helps you find your identity like yeah. you know because yeah. there could have been a few different identities you went with you know there's gangs there's street pharmacists there's sports all that um, and I feel like that's still so relevant now is sports is such a good outlet and a good way to, to meet people. Even now, like you can, I still play pickup basketball with buddies and I made, I'm making new friends from, from guys playing on the courts at I'm 35 years old. Like, it's crazy to say that. And so for you, I, I imagine like wrestling had to be that like almost literal home away from home. 
yeah. home away from home, and that's like your family away from family, way more than the normal person, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't even want to go home after school. Yeah. Going home after school was just, like I said, it just wasn't a, a positive environment. You know, we come home, and my dad would always try to force us to come home right after school and to, like, to do what? Just sit here and mm. uh, do nothing. Um, so getting involved with sports helped me out with that. I would just stay involved year round. This way I wouldn't have to go home. You know, there was a lot of fights going back and forth for my, my dad. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of negative, man. You know, I, it's hard to find the actual positives there. I mean, there were some good times, but that always involved like money, you know, but mm-hmm. that was never like, it's hard for me to remember good times with my dad. Like, yo, that was a great night. That was a great day. You know, I, I can't really remember like right off the top of my head. You know, mm-hmm. I remember more of the negative than anything. Um, those just tend to stick with you more often than not. Um, but yeah, sports was huge. That was my outlet. Mm-hmm. And I got to meet a lot of great people. Maddie Rich was one of those guys. Totally. And his parents. I still talk to them to this day. I actually lived down the block from his parents back in uh, New York. That's funny. And uh, yeah, just a lot of, I met so many good people, man. Especially with like MMA. Like that's a whole nother level of meeting people. Because now I'm oh, traveling yeah. the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. So So I guess that's a good segue. Because it's funny, we had the conversation with with Phil about getting his first MMA fight coming out of wrestling, and he told us it was really, really difficult because he had a reputation behind him of being a, like he was an all American wrestler oh, he and all was that. Stuff and coming out of college, no one really wanted to take the fight, and he and he also came in. He he, he mopped up. I, I can't remember because it's been a while since we talked. Like he mopped up his first one or two amateur mm-hmm. fights, and he had a pretty quick progression because he was wearing like this cape on his back from his <laughs> his career already, and he was and he haven't had had his first fight. How was your transition coming from? you know, wrestling at school and going into, like, the conversion over into MMA? You know, I was a two-time All-American um, D3 at Cor- SUNY Corlin, and uh, I think me not being a national champ kind of made it easier for people to want to accept fights with me, and then when they start realizing that I was actually really good, I think that's when things be- start to catch on. You know, my, my amateur fight, I was able to bang them out one by one because I was always taking short-notice fights. Oh. And no one really knew who I was. Like, if you looked it up, it just says D3. You know, it doesn't say national champ. So I think that kind of gave people a little bit more peace of mind. And traveling out of state, you know, I fought in New Hampshire. I fought in PA, New Jersey. So I traveled around a bit, you know, always on the road. And uh, making that transition to the pros, I kind of found more or less the same type of success. Mm. You know, my first, my pro debut, I think the scorecards were like 30-26, and 130-25, you know, it was a pretty one-sided ass yeah. whooping. And um, I was reading articles about it, and they were comparing me to John Jones. And, uh, you know, I started with John Jones at um, at Cortland. Mm. He was training down the road. I met him in my freshman year at SUNY Morrisville. He left school. I left school. I went to uh, Cortland. He was training down the block. And uh, long story short, you know, that's how we kind of had that same start. But he started before I did. But from there they were giving us those same comparisons of just the way I fought, jumping stuff and totally. spinning attacks, all kinds of craziness, wrestling and submission attempts. So my pro debut from there, I felt like it got a little bit tougher, but then being that there was no tape, there wasn't really a lot of tape on me besides my amateur fights, but the stuff I was taking, because I, I document everything, and I post it to my YouTube. I think people had a little bit more sense of security because I wasn't like the biggest power puncher. I was just more volume, more wrestling and uh, submission attempts. So, you know, I pr- finished a lot of guys coming up and short notice fights. Once again, I, mm-hmm. I took a lot of short notice fights that you probably shouldn't have. And uh, I think that allowed me to rattle off 
a lot more wins faster than, let's say, a Phil Davis coming in. People don't want to fight like that. Sure, you know, yeah. If Jordan Burroughs were to come in, people would yeah. probably be very, very hesitant in taking a fight like that because they know they're going to get dumped over and over on the head. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, what was the, if, if there was one, there's probably a lot, what was the, the most challenging part switching over, like leaving, putting wrestling behind and going? Because you still obviously carry wrestling with you, but switching over. Yeah. And what was the most challenging um, part of it? I think getting used to, like, being punched, you know? (laughs) Not even getting used to it, just being comfortable with strikes coming at your head, head kicks coming at your head, no shin guards, man. These these things are blades, man. They're razor sharp, and, you know, that hits. It's the equivalent of a baseball bat being swung at your head, you know? So I think more so that, just getting comfortable with the striking aspect, and I think that was really it. Besides that, man, it was just like competition. It was Mm one-on-one. You kind of control the work you put in. Um, not getting tired in the fight is based on the work you put in previously before that. And obviously the mental aspect of not psyching yourself out and getting exhausted faster than you should because your anxiety is just through the roof. So uh, I would say that was like the hardest part, working on the breathing and understanding that a punch is it's just a punch. Like, yeah, sure, it, yeah, it could hurt. Just, you know, just don't eat too many of them. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. that's kind of the, the approach that I, I try to take. Yeah, I was um, I was gonna ask you like when when did it like really get serious? Where like you said, okay, that's it. I'm I, everything else. The, I know you were a teacher before. When did you like quit that and say, okay, I'm going down the MMA road and that's it? Uh, after I got my second contract with the UFC. So when oh, I nice. went to the free agency period and I secured the second contract, I lost the, t- the first two fights and then I lost to Brian Caraway, split decision. Rafael Sunsau, right after that, split decision. First time I ever lost a fight and then I lose two back-to-back, which was, like, devastating. I knew my third fight I, I couldn't lose because sure. if I did, after the whole thing with the free agency, made such a big thing for me to lose a third in a row. Typically, those are your walking papers. That's your mm-hmm. pink slip out the door. You know, thanks for coming. Get a nice pat on the ass and uh, bring in the next the next fighter that we could find. You know, that's yeah. that's kind of how the UFC model works. I think any high organization, you know, the UFC is just, everyone wants to fight for them, you know, so they could turn you over like that. It doesn't, mm-hmm. really doesn't matter. You know, as long as you're fighting under the UFC umbrella, the impression to the world and the masses is, these are the best guys mm-hmm. and the best girls. So for me, after the, that, those two losses, then I fought uh, Augusto Mendez. I won that. And dude, emotional, like pretty much brought to tears like after the fight because uh, I knew I knew what was at stake. You know, I made a whole big thing. I lost two fights in a row. Now I'm not holding up my end of the bargain. Now I gave them a hard time. They're just waiting. They couldn't wait to get rid of me. You know, yeah. but I think um, me bouncing back, getting the win from that fight. Uh, I think that was the one I stopped. I stopped teaching and stopped. The only thing I was doing was coaching wrestling. So mm. wrestling is a big part of my life. You know, it gave me so much and this opportunity as a, as a whole. So I always try to pay for it as, as much as I can. I feel yeah. like after that fight, um, that's when your first surge really started happening. Yeah. Correct? That's when you started getting you know, bigger, pro, high profile fights, which eventually ended up with a, the Marias fight. Correct. That was yeah, like yeah. the first. Do that was you, a short notice fight too. That mm-hmm. and, and the Callaway fight was short notice as well. Right? No, no, no. We, that was full camp. Full was camp. it? Yeah. yeah. Or was or was it your opponent got switched last minute? That was uh, the Marais fight. Is that what it was? Okay. Um, I, I feel you You had this surge and you had all the momentum in the world, but do you feel, you know, obviously the Marais fight didn't end the way you wanted it to, but do you feel had you won that fight, you were ready for a title shot at that moment? 
It's hard to say. Because I feel mm-hmm. like you would have gotten that shot at that, at that at that period in time if you had won that fight. Yeah. Do you feel like you were ready or do you feel like somehow, some way it all worked out because it kind of, you know, you had to take a step back and you started a whole nother surge again to where, you know, we're at right now. Yeah, it's uh, it's a, and the sport is so fascinating, man, because there's so many different ways your career can go. It's uh, one win, one loss. And you're right. I, I don't know if I would have been ready to fight a a uh, TJ Dillashaw back right. then. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I would have just tried to wrestle him to death or something like mm-hmm. that. But I think now my comfortability and my understanding of everything now is night and day yeah. compared to that. I, I, in the Marais fight, I was supposed to fight Ronnie Yaya. We trained for a grappling match, you know, mm. um, high-level grappling, uh, a lot of scrambling. Uh, about, I think, three and a half weeks notice, maybe three. Um, Marais gets put in for, for uh, Ronnie Yaya. And I didn't do any homework on him, didn't study mm. any tape. It was just like, ah, you know, he had two split decision fights. I think he's regular. You know, I didn't really look at his his skill set and assess him like I did everybody else. It was kind of like I just beat Henry Burrell, former champion. He only lost to mm. TJ Dillshaw at Bantamweight. He went up to 145. He won a round and a half from from uh, Jeremy Stevens. And then mm-hmm. Jeremy Stevens put it on him in that third round. And uh, Jeremy got the win, but that was him going up to featherweight. And uh, so I was the second guy to beat him at Bantamweight. So I was like, you know, I'm on a high right now. You yeah, know? yeah. No one could tell me anything. I go into this fight with Marais. I think, like, ah, I'm just going to, you know, do what I do. And sure enough, that wasn't the case. And, uh, you know, the bounce back has, was, was real. I think it really made me open up. And I was a little gun shy at first uh, with the Brett Johns fight. Obviously, a knockout is never good. Especially the way that that happened, that was like career ending. That's that's those are the type of knockouts that most most people don't come mm-hmm, back from. Right. You, know, you get knocked out like that, you could pretty much say I I had a good run and uh, yeah yeah it was fun playing. You know? mm-hmm. But uh, thank thankfully I was able to keep my head on straight. But even for that, I didn't do any sparring before that fight. I think uh, I might have did two sparring sessions, and that was just to get my timing down. And all I did was wrestle. As soon as, as soon as we touched sure. gloves, I shot. Rustled my guys. They were throwing punches. I circled. I didn't want to do no exchanges in the pocket. Mm-hmm. I wanted to preserve everything up here and just use it for the fight to, to make sure if I did get hit, you know, I don't want to find out in the gym. You know, I'd rather go out there and save it for, for that instead of using up those. I, I always, I believe in, we only have so many dings, I call them, that you can take throughout totally, your career where yeah. you're like cracked and you're stunned and you're wobbly and you could come back from. You keep using those up in the gym you're not going to have nothing left mm-hmm. for the fight where now you're not using 16 ounce gloves. You're using four ounce gloves, you know? So I truly do believe in that. So for me, that was what I did. I stepped, stepped back. And then when I got into that firefight with Brett Johns, that, that one flurry in the second round, I was a little nervous. Cause I was like, man, if I get cracked, I don't know how I'm going to respond. You know, there's, it's just <laughs> yeah. the uncertainty, you know, but thankfully it went my way. And you know, the other four fights after that, you know, five, five went streak now. And, I think uh, I showed a lot of wrinkles in my game, and I showed that I can take a shot. And that one fight with Marais was just a miscalculation on my part and more of, a, I think, me just not giving him the respect that he deserved uh, coming into the fight. And since then, I haven't, I haven't done that again. I was going to ask, with, with taking that fight last minute against an opponent like that, what plays into that? Is it pressure from the UFC? Is it your own confidence where you felt so good at that point? Or is it because you know what's at stake and what's to gain from taking that risk? A little bit of both. And I know I knew what was at stake. I knew if I won the fight, I was probably going to be in a title yeah. eliminator my next fight or potentially jump in for a title mm-hmm. shot. Um, I thought it was a great opportunity. And 
I needed the money. You know, my mm. goal was yeah, to buy yeah. my first house. You know, I knew if I won, I would have enough money to to get the house. And um, sure enough, that wasn't the case. And, you know, I didn't end up buying the house until the Cody statement fight, you know. So, mm. again, it was just about I knew what my long-term goals were, save up, buy my house, then buy the house for my mom, get her out of the, the shitty situation she was in with the landlord in Roosevelt, which is kind of like the hood slash ghetto of part of Long Island, you know, and um, she was in there in a bad situation because she was kicked out of the house. My two sisters got kicked out of the house by my dad, um, a stay away order, and they all bungled up with her in the house, and it was three of them in a one bedroom sleeping in the same bed. So, you know, I, I was trying to do my part to help as the one successful person in the family. And not saying successful, like everyone else was working and stuff, but I was the only one who was really like making any type of like, serious money yeah, yeah. Know, at the time yeah or more than everybody else yeah definitely first off are you, are you guys cold no, are you good no. you good okay <laughs> just making sure i didn't know because ac's been ac's been pumping I'm like i got a jacket on just making sure you're not cold um so i think by far what i'm, I'm most fascinated in sitting down with with a guy who's in any sort of combat sport and you know I, I got into boxing a few years ago obviously the owner of the boxing club you met i got to meet a lot of his like his coaches are all fighters and you know the alliance guys down here that phil works out we've actually gotten to, to meet them i think it's a given that everybody knows like the physical condition of guys who are in mma boxing muay thai all that is is on another level but i don't know if there's a much as much attention on like how strong they're they are between the ears and the mental yeah. strength. And I didn't know like your whole story too growing up because that requires like all sorts of different level of uh, mental discipline. But the career of a fighter um, from amateur to pro and now being the UFC platform, the highs are so high. And I mean, I'm speculating just off conversations I've had. The highs are so highs, but I imagine the lows are, are extremely oh. low. Yeah. And uh, and keeping your head the same space it was when it's high, or maybe like in, in between mode, so it doesn't get too high, it doesn't get too low. You just keep even balance. Getting inside the head of, a, of any fighter that does it, especially for a living, to me is like incredible. And I want to be selfish and use that time to f- to find out what you found, like work doesn't work, or like you know, have you had those low lows, high highs, and and found something that really keeps you even balance because that's just fighting. That's your career. There's all sorts of shit outside of that. You might have a relationship. You might have, you know, you're buying a house, you got family. Like how do you given like your entire life course, keep that, that, that balance. I, I would say, um, a lot of people don't, they tend to forget like as athletes, we, uh, we're still people, man. We still have responsibilities. We still have things mm-hmm. that we have to take care of. We have the, the outside drama of everyday life that everybody has, you know, uh, a sibling or a relative could die and you could have lost your house. You could have had a bad day arguing with your, your wife or your girlfriend. You guys could have just broken up. There's so much that goes into behind the scenes outside of those 15 minutes that people get to watch, you know? Totally. And, uh, again, the, the, yeah, the highest highs for, for sure. And the lowest lows, man. And then you don't get to ever really bounce back if you're on the low side of things for what, three, four months, sometimes more than that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I lost to Marlon in December. I didn't fight again until April. And, uh, you know, I just want to give my brain some time to recover and think about some things. And I tell you what, the torture on social media. Wow, mm-hmm. bro. Yeah, I was I was the guy who did the dab after winning the fight. And then I lose the fight and then I dab in. In a knocked out position, you know? Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it's a, 
It's crazy, man. You you have to. I think with me, all the verbal abuse that I've had growing up through my brothers, my sisters, my 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 dad. I think it really strengthened me up here. Totally. Because it was kind of like everything kind of just bounces off your skin a little bit. It's kind of like just like water just rolling off your back. So uh, I think that helped me out a ton. And I'm just trying to think about the words, the, the best way to describe it. It's, it's really hard, man. I, I don't think a lot of people have the mental strength to deal with it. And I think that's why you see a lot of people when they go through a tough time, they never ever really bounce back or they look like a shell of themselves. And for me, I was able to just keep things in perspective. You know, I was like, I broke down the fight with Marlon and looking at everything objectively from the outside, asking other people. And it came down to, you know, just making one critical mistake and shooting without setting it up, getting over emotional and all the other stuff leading up to it and keeping it in perspective and realizing like you can still compete with the best guys in the world you just have to go back to what got you here and obviously still evolve. Mm. And uh, I think that's what helped me get back on the horse and find the success that I'm, I'm having today. And I think that's the tough part, being able to really pull yourself back and not have yes men around you, not lie to yourself mm-hmm. and uh, just keep an honest opinion. I, th- I, th- it's, I think it's going to be different for everybody, mm. but, um, you know, like I said, I think my mental toughness is like kind of like the kids today. I feel people are so used to having everything given to them, especially at such a young age that when they don't get that job or they don't get that that date with that with that girlfriend or that guy or something, that girl, that guy that they want to you know they want to talk to or that they like or something. I think it crumbles them and it crushes their like mm-hmm. uh, their ego, spirit, whatever uh, you want to call it, but. You know, it's not a good feeling, you know, to be able to deal with rejection, to be able to deal with failure and coming back. I think that's the key. Understanding that losing is temporary. The feeling that you f- you feel is, is temporary, you know. Mm-hmm. Have your time to moan, groan, whatever about it and mope about it. Then you got to realize life still goes on. The world's going to turn with or without you. From there, it's just kind of like, what are you going to do after that? Okay, you done, you done your... your weeping and, and crying about it. Now what? Are mm-hmm. you going to just, is life over? It's not. You got you to gotta pick yourself up and, and, and keep moving forward. And I think that's the tough part. People have to realize they, the emotional state that you're in is just temporary, man. Mm-hmm. After that, you can you control everything else. You know, mm-hmm. I always, I'm a big believer in do what you got to do so that you can do what you want to do. And I learned that from the dad of Andrew Corliss. He ended up getting drafted to um, the Green Bay Packers the year that they won the uh, Super Bowl. And uh, he went to the high school that we went to. Him and his brother, him and my younger brother were best friends. And just always being able to to hang out with them uh, and see how he worked, his his work ethic while I was in high school, uh, you know, kind of rubbed off of me. And talking to his dad, who was a professor at Old Westbury, he would always say that, you know, do what you got to do so you can do what you want to do. And it, it always resonated with me. I'm like, wrestling, do what I got to do so I can do what I want to do. You know, if I want to go to college, if I want to get the scholarship, mm-hmm. I got to do these things. Yeah, it might suck, but it's temporary. You put the work in now, you get the rewards later. Same thing as like you work hard, play hard. You right. do what you want. You do what you got to do now so you can do what you want to do later. And uh, that always stuck with me. And then, you know, you get in what you put in. You know, you don't, no one's, no one deserves anything. You get what you earn. And uh, I think people be able to dust themselves off, get, get back up and get back on the horse 
that says a lot about a person's character. You know, they're not willing to just accept failure. And totally. um, I think that's the tough part, you know. It's easier said than done because, man, like losing those two fights in a row, after I lost to Carraway, we went to Dre's in Vegas. Oh, all bad and, there. Um, all bad there. Yeah, and <laughs> all my friends coming up to me. I lost a split decision. These guys are acting like I got my ass kicked. And uh, <laughs> everyone's talking about the fight, what I could have done, what I should have done. I worked out three times that day. I got up at 6 in the morning. I ran my sprints. My brother came down to, to watch. I, came, I ran my sprints in the morning early, probably about a 45-minute workout, which was like my morning shakeout. Then we went, to the, we went to the Mandalay Bay Arena. I did another workout, about an hour long. Then I did a workout again in the back room for like another Jesus. 30, 40 minutes. I fought like 15 times that day. <laughs> And I destroyed the guy in the first round, and I just completely gassed out, just had the biggest adrenaline dump. I'm like, dude, my arms feel like cinder blocks, my legs are heavy. Mm. And I, it wasn't like I was even breathing hard. It was just like, I, my, I'm physically just exhausted. Like, I am spent. Whatever. And going into the club, and these guys talking to me about this, and I'm like, they're like, yo, you should, you know, keep your head up, you know, blah, 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 and, and this, that, you know. He, you know, I, I'm like... Dude, please, just shut the fuck up. Please, oh, please. Oh, man. And next, you know, I just start, I burst into tears, man. Just like in the club. I'm like, oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. Yeah. My girlfriend is there. We get into an argument. And I'm like, Yo, this is just the worst, worst experience ever. You know, my first loss as a professional, I thought I was going to be the Mayweather of MMA. I really did. You know, I just thought my style, you know, hard to hit, good wrestler, good jujitsu. I was going to be a nightmare for anybody. And to realize that you could lose is like your, your world gets shattered, you know? But then it's, again, it goes back to, okay, you failed, but is it, is it over? It's not over. Mm-hmm. What's, the, what's the end goal? To become a UFC champion. So if that's the goal, this is just a minor setback. We've seen guys who lost time and time again. The Robbie Lawlers, yeah. uh, they come back from losing to Nate Diaz, Nick Diaz, getting knocked out with like a back jab, mm. and then coming back and becoming a world champion. People that were so afraid of him just destroying guys, what he did to... Uh, Johnny Hendricks, what he did to Roy McDonald, and a lot of guys, uh, Carlos Condit. Like you fought Robbie Lola, you knew yeah. you were going yeah. to the hospital. Like, no ifs, ands, or buts about it, you mm-hmm. know? And he's perfectly fine with it, too. And He'll he's, go. Yeah. yeah. He's, you know? <laughs> going so on it's like, if you truly do believe in yourself, you know, you're going to be able to pick yourself up and, and, and dust everything off and, and get back on the horse. And I think that's the hard part, being able to have that motivation to want to continue the journey. Because it's hard, man. You, you put in all this time. Not knowing if you're going to win or you're going to lose. You're, you're doing all this for a chance. You're hoping that there's a light at the end of the tunnel where you come out on the other side and you get your hand raised. And if you don't, it's kind of like, well, did you do everything you possibly could have to win? And from there, uh, only you really know that answer. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, again, it's the highest highs, the lowest low. Like right now, I'm, I'm on top of the world and I feel like, you know, I, I feel like that there's nothing I can't do. You know, mm-hmm. that's how it feels. And then when you lose, it's like... It's a rebuilding process, man. Even if for, for me to lose at this point, it's still a significant blow to your to your psyche. You have mm-hmm. to really try to get through it, put it in the back burner, and forget about it. Kind of not forget about it, but kind of just forget. Like it's, it's in the past now. You can't do anything to change mm-hmm. it. Spilt milk. You can't put it back in the glass. And from there, just continue working forward. On this whole mental aspect of the game that we're talking about right now, I have a bunch of questions, but I'll start with two. Um, a lot of people either. You know, we were talking about all the personal stuff you've been through. It's all heavy. Do you use that kind of like as fuel when you go, you know, into the combat sports world? Or do you 
have to block it off because I mean you have to have laser focus. This is life and death. You're talking about you know when you step in the cage. Like how do you use that? Um, it's it's tough. There's some um times where you know you find yourself in your room if you're in a quiet space and you're 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 in you're in bed with your own thoughts. You know mm-hmm. you can't escape it. You know that's why I kind of like having company with people. People always say like, oh you know we're gonna leave. I'm like no nah, dude hang out like. I'd rather you be here than having a conversation with me than me sitting here thinking about the fight over and over yeah, and over true. again. Especially like for this last one, the whole thing with the protests and everything, you know, being a, an African-American and an athlete in a position of uh, influence. Uh, a lot of people were asking me why I wasn't talking about everything, even though I was. But at the same time, it's like you guys are demanding me to do this as if I owe you something. That's one. And as if. I'm not fighting for the biggest fight of my life. Right. This is the biggest fight of mm-hmm. my life. And you guys want me to get distracted with all this other stuff. I'm like, yeah, it's important. But at the same time, which one's more important? I think both issues are equally important. It depends on how you look at it. And uh, I made it a point to address it. But the, social, the, the burden that it cost me to mentally think about that, you couldn't get away from it on your phone. If you're on your phone, right, you're right. seeing this thing in front of your face day in and day out and uh that was tough in itself man and i think it just you just have to really have a strong mind and i think that's the tough part being able to to deal with that even my girlfriend she texted me she saw me on twitter and she goes all right no twitter for you tomorrow because that was like the fight day that that actually leads to my next question when in a fight camp when do you tune the outside world out when do you just like shut everything off i'm a little crazy I'm (laughs) i'm on my phone pretty much as he's walking out (laughs) <laughs> Almost all the way up into the fight. Oh, it's, that's funny. It's uh, fascinating. Like, even in the back room, I, sometimes uh, I'll be on my phone, and um, maybe an hour before the fight, when I know that there's a couple fights in front of me, I, I'll try to stay off of it, because at that point, it's just like, all right, let's just, you know, stay f- laser-focused on this, the task at hand. And um, But i always been like that. I always felt like I thrived in the chaos. Uh, my, my teammate, my former uh, roommate, I used to live with him, Ally Quinta, he would always say, he's like, dude, I don't know how you do it. You have all this shit going on in your life. Your dad is getting you these restraining orders so that you have to go to court and do all these appearances. And you're dealing with all this with your mom. Your brother is attacking you. And you get into a fight at the gym with your brother. And he's like, I don't know how you do it. It's like you just thrive in the chaos. And I said the same thing. I was like, yeah, I do feel like sometimes I, I do better when there's more chaos. Like the more things I have going on, it just feels like yeah yeah i do better or i excel more which sounds it might sound crazy and i think it sounds crazy when i even say it out loud i'm like but you kind of grew up in chaos yeah you, so it's kind of so it's like zone. it's almost like normal yeah like, yeah if i feel like everything is like my managers you need anything i'm like nah i'll go get it myself you know i'm just one of those type of guys i'm super easy man it's, i don't i'm low maintenance i you know i don't ask for much um i like doing stuff on my own i i don't like i feel weird when people do things for me it's just yeah, weird yeah. I didn't grow up like that, you know, so. Um, That's yeah. exactly how I am 100% of the time. I, I thrive when, like, my back's against the wall. Yeah. Like, that's just, I'm ready. Like, I'm going to throw more at me. Let's go. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a fascinating way to approach it. You would think, like, the easier your, the load of work is for you, especially during a fight week, <clears throat> you would think that would be uh, make your life a lot less stressful. But um, it's weird. Then it's like, then I'm just sitting home in the room, and it's just me and my thoughts. Mm. So 
it's like the busier I am, I'm cutting, I'm editing my own vlog videos. I'm editing like uh, YouTube skits that I would just come up with during fight week with, with my teammates, Marab. I did like two cookie videos mm. where it's like, I love sweets. So we went to Whole Foods, we get the cookies and I just come up with like these scenarios. The cookies are on the table and I'm like shaking the camera and I'm doing the editing and chopping it up. And I'm like, it cuts to the cookies and it cuts back to us. I was like, yo, yo, you see those girls over there? And he was, <laughs> it's the cookies dancing. So I got the camera dancing. So I do all these crazy things to kind of keep my mind off the fight. Even though it's, a, you know, it's always important, but I think it's about having fun and, and enjoying the moment, man. I think that's more my style because it's such a stressful thing. You're going in there with another person who's trying to separate you from your consciousness on international TV. Yeah. That the UFC is going to use for decades and years to come over and over and over that are never going to go away. That intro reel at the pay-per-views. Oh, my God. In the arena. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you That's see <laughs> everyone just getting knocked out or choked yeah. out. And it's just like, it's so exciting. But I'm like, I do not want to be in this highlight reel before the pay-per-view starts ever. How I much, got you, how much you engage the trolls, though, on the internet? Oh, a ton. I'm a troll myself, man. <laughs> if, I, if I got time, if I got time, which I do during fight week. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking shit. Oh, the, even good. if it's not fight week, I'm talking, I'm talking back to you, man. If you, you want to talk, I'm going to talk back. Cause funny. there's someone on the other side of his phone, just like there's someone on the other end where, where you're at, you know? So if you're doing that, some people just do it for the, for a response. I'm like, dude, you could have just said hello. I would have responded to you. Instead, you want to attack me, and now I got to go through your pictures and attack you too. So, <laughs> so you do I, homework you too. Go, yeah. You go do your homework, then you come back to them. Yeah. So if I have time, you know, I I engage. Um, not all the time though, you know, because there's, there's only so much time in the day. But if I if I'm just home after a fight, I'm not training right now, really really hard. So I'm like, okay, I got time today. So now I'm gonna come after you. And if, obviously with the positivity too, I, I try to engage with the positive just as much right. as the negative, if not more on the positive side. Yeah, you know, one of the one of the things I noticed we we actually went to your fight in Chicago against Munoz, and we went yeah yeah uh, in Phoenix when you find Phoenix too. Uh, Phoenix was Munoz, right? Phoenix Chicago was, uh, was Rivera. Uh, Phoenix was uh, Rivera. Phoenix was Rivera. Okay, Phoenix ESPN is one. the fight then where I feel like that was one of your best. Not counting Sanhagen, that was your best performance in my opinion, because you just picked him apart. And for me, and, I, and I've heard in other professional sports where, when it comes to rookies or just young players in the NFL and NBA, where they talk about how the game slows down for them. And I felt like in that fight for you, everything slowed down for you. And I even heard you in like interviews after that fight. I, I think specifically with Luke Thomas, where you talk, we were talking about how you were watching his movement. And you already you were ten steps ahead of him yeah. because you were just picking up him apart in your head, and you were just countering yeah. every every moment. I, and I, that was masterful, man. It was crazy to watch. Thank you. No, I, I would agree that uh, time it does feel like time slows down, and uh, it's a weird feeling, like to describe what it's like making the walk. They put the Vaseline on you, give you you give it well, you give your teammates the hug. Uh, handshake, whatever, whatever you like to do. Then they put the Vaseline on you. They check your mouthpiece, make sure you got your cup on. And, you know, I go in, stepping into the octagon, you look around. I always look around because I like to take it all in. And it's like, mm -hmm. dude, this is nuts. There's a lot of just screaming people here that are just going to be, you know, you're on display for the world to the see. The Coliseum. Like yeah. And, uh, yeah, it, it really does feel like that. You know, it's like people pay their money. They're either going to boo you or they're going to cheer for you, you know? And, um, to get in there, it's like training, but just amplified, like, times 10. Mm. And uh, to have that many eyes on you, it, it's a very 
overwhelming experience and to be able to pull yourself back and to dial in and just focus. It's almost like this tunnel vision where everything is blurred and there's, there's points in the fight for me where it's not blurred anymore, where I can see everything going on. I can hear my coaches and then I could go back to that focus where it's just, I can see everything my opponent is doing or even thinking about just from the tape that I watch and either listening to interviews and, or seeing his, how he comes into the octagon in previous fights and stuff mm. like that. So I like to do my homework, man. And even like I was saying about the Marais fight, I didn't, I didn't do it all that, you know. So there's a lot of he, – he has a really tricky switch kick that I didn't really pick up on because I didn't really study what, what he was doing and how he sets that up. But um, with the Rivera fight, man, I knew all the combinations he was going to throw. I had these guys, Pumi and, and Steve Lee and a whole bunch of other guys just mimicking these guys for me. Same combinations that they throw and just getting down the timing and um, – it felt like when I got in there, it was like he had nothing for me because I constantly evolve every single fight. You don't know what I'm going to do. Right. I, I didn't wrestle since my last fight, since Cody Stamen. The other ones, I haven't gotten a takedown. And mm. uh, for this last one with, with Sanhagen, you know, for me to go out there and just press for the takedown right away and get it right away, yeah. it kind of reminds everyone like, holy sh- shit. It's That's- not just the, the Pedro Munoz fight. It's not just the Jimmy Rivera fight where it's just I'm going to sit on the outside and just Point, yeah. point fight you it's I'm, I'm dangerous everywhere you know so it kind of gives everyone that that sense of well now we have more to worry about again you know yeah. and I think the word for Rivera he kind of stayed the same and I knew exactly what I was getting myself mm-hmm. into where there was no real element of surprise but I still had to stay sharp but at the same time I felt like everything he threw was like dude I just feel like you're a step behind and you really can't catch up that's crazy that mm-hmm. you mentioned like obviously you watch a ton of video but that you actually Listen to other interviews that they do as well? Is yeah. that like another way to kind of get in their head and see what... You want to hear how they're talking, man. I, I think it's... For me to go on an interview and say, like, when I was on the UFC Embedded, I was like, you know, I know Corey's a tough dude. Uh, I know he really wants this. I, you know, we're two of the, the best guys in this division. He's ranked fourth. I'm ranked second. You know, whoever wins is going to get the title shot. He wants this um, probably just as much as I do. But And I say, like, you're going to have to kill me to get this. But guess what? I'm ready to run you the fuck over. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think... Me saying that for the masses to hear, you know, I put it and speak it into existence. It's not just training and it's like you're unsure. You're, you're unsure. You're training, but you're not really confident because you're not really saying it. You're not really putting that much weight on it. Because then it's like if you lose, it's like, you know, I, I lost. Yeah. But if you have to, if you say these words out loud, it's almost like you're holding yourself accountable because mm-hmm. now people got receipts for you. Now they're yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I want to make sure this cash is out. Yeah. So I think that's the difference in... Um, you know, he was, you know, he was pretty confident, sounding like he was just saying, you know, he was on another level. And some of the things he said just really didn't make a lot of sense because it didn't really have any basis. Like, there was mm-hmm. no, like, where are you getting this analysis from? So you could kind of see if the guy knows what he's talking about. And at the same time, you know if he's, he's confident or not. And, uh, yeah. So, so we, we talked about it a little bit last night about fighting at the Apex and what it's like because I was telling you our take on it watching as a viewer. But we didn't talk about is, is what you were just saying fighting during what's now like an international protest these are going on globally and then on top of it uh uh international health pandemic that's got to be shut down how did that like and then you're you're fighting with no fans everything's got to seem like upside down upside down going yeah. in did that did that impact i mean you came out and fucking killed the performance but how was that going in versus the normal like like in phoenix or other arenas like fight camps where nothing of this is going on um i mean for me it's chaos is all the time but uh Maybe the protest was a little more overwhelming than I thought it would be, but uh, I think I've competed enough with wrestling and 
MMA fights that now I could kind of dial in the focus where it's like, I know how to turn everything off. Like if it's time to go, like, if, like almost in a street fight, it's like, you kind of know when someone just kind of bumps into you and you, you could kind of tell when the testosterone is, is elevating and there might be some conflict, um, knowing how to handle the situation. And you got to either be ready for this guy to probably sure. clean clock you, you know, cold without you even like knowing just in the middle of a conversation, just you know, what you say, boom, straight. Like some like we call it, like kind of like New York style, you know, <laughs> but uh, you got to be ready for that. You know, I so I think with the with the chaos, just being able to, to turn it up and turn it down, like making that walk, knowing that there's no fans, knowing the whole thing going on with the, with the protests, being able to just silence all of that noise mm. and realize there's a, t- there's a task at hand. And visualize like this is the most important thing that matters right now is these next 15 minutes. And uh, I think I do a pretty good job of tuning everything out. But then, uh, as a, I, I don't know, as a competitor, I think I just I think that's just one of my strong points. I think I'm able to just focus. I'm not in the middle of a transition for a takedown and thinking about um, someone stealing a TV. You know, yeah, yeah. So I, I think people need to be able to. Figure out this is a balance, I think. But um, I think the the best competitors are able to kind of just turn off all the outside noise and, and focus. It's in, it's interesting hearing you say uh, that you're getting pressured too to speak out about the protests. I don't know if you guys heard uh, Chappelle's new the 8:46 Netflix. Yeah, yeah. He kind of touched on. He had an interesting take on it, which I, I thought was great because I think it was Don Lemon who like called out celebrities, and I think they threw his name into it. Like, yeah. why haven't you spoke? And he pointed out, I was like the people are speaking right now like and and doing it really well and like allowing like we've never seen anything like this so like I'll pick and choose and he obviously picked and choose a great platform to do it um but like we've never spoken out or drawn attention the way we're doing so like let them continue to do that which I think is interesting so I wanted to hear like you know how if you had like how bad the pressure was or how you kind of responded to that because you definitely have a a significant voice in that space yeah I had two kids come to my page who weren't even following me and and uh, two African-American kids, actually, too. And they're like, um, as a, I think they said as a fan, I would have to go back and look or try to find it. At this point, I think it's probably buried. But um, as, uh, I think they said something like, as a black athlete, I'm surprised, I'm disappointed with how you use your platform. This is probably like three or four days before my fight. I'm like, is this is this kid for real? And then he tags his friend. And his friend jump, jumps in and I'm like, I'm not going down this rabbit hole. I just said, Please stop. Mm. Just just like that. It's like, so I'm not about to sit here and defend myself to two kids that I, I don't know from a hole in the wall. You know, mm-hmm. don't tell me what I'm doing and how I'm doing it. You know, I'm pretty sure you're not Googling and searching. You're just looking on my page to see if I, if I wrote about it on my social media. Like, For sure. But you haven't checked everything else. You're just here to just say something because you can. Because mm-hmm. you can't say something, you're just coming to people's pages and you're just writing stuff. So... It's a, it could be a lot, man. But um, at the end of the day, I, I, I don't think athletes or celebrities, actors, whatever you want to call it, we don't owe anybody anything. That's the way I kind of look at it. I think it's your life mm-hmm. and how you want to live it is based on how you want to live it. So whatever your values are, I think it's up to that individual. If you want to use it for good, you want to use it to elevate, then more power to you. You know, I don't knock... The, the Michael Jordan, while he's in his prime, not wanting to talk about social issues and things like that. And I know he got hammered for that mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. And I know now he's doing more work 
for for that type of reforms and stuff like that, which is nice to see as, as a huge brand that the Michael Jordan is, you know? So I look at that, and again, it's like, you, I understand the fame and, and stuff, and people pay, and but I don't owe you a, a happy birthday shout-out. I don't owe you... Uh, <laughs> Uh, a 15 minute long speech on something because you think it's important and you think it's something that I should be talking about. What I find important to me is what I find important to me. Don't try to write the narrative for me. Let me tell my own story the way I want to tell my story. Sure. I don't tell you how to raise your kids, right? right? I don't tell you how to brush your teeth at night. You probably don't know how to, how to brush your teeth and you don't, I'm not, you know, it's, it's just like people expect so much and mm-hmm. they forget that we're just people. Mm-hmm. We're just people. Yeah, we have we might have some influence, but at the end of the day, man, we have lives too. You don't. We can't just live for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And uh, sometimes you fall into that role model category accidentally. Like even for me, like I grew up super ratchet, super ratchet, and I'm night and day. This version of me compared to how I was in high school, night and day different. How really? I was in middle school, night and day different. You wouldn't even recognize that kid back then. Mm-hmm. It's do rag sagging pants down by my ass uh cussing left and right uh i was a different individual you know so um i didn't grow up thinking i was going to be a role model and i'm kind of just defaulted into that position but at the same time i like sharing my experience my positive experience with people and uh encouraging people so that's Mm -hmm. something i'm okay with doing but i don't ever want to feel like people are coming up to me telling me like i have to do this and that and this will be good if i i want to do it because i want to do it don't Try to, you know what I mean? That, I don't mm-hmm. know, I'm not no, sure if that makes sense. sense. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of expectations sometimes, man. And uh, you can't please everybody. And that's, yeah. I think that's the one thing I learned through, throughout this, that even with my family, like, I'm never going to make everybody happy. It's, I got to do what makes me feel comfortable. And at, at the end of the day, as long as I can sleep at night, knowing that I did my part, I, I'm okay with that. Aside did, from, sorry, no, aside from the social media presence, um, you seem like a very reserved person. Like, how small is your circle, like your inner circle, and how much smaller has it gotten as your career has progressed? I still hang out with the same people, mm-hmm. same people from high school and stuff like that. Uh, I was just actually talking with uh, my teammate friends, and I was saying to, saying to them, like, some of the conversation I was having in the group chat, and we were talking about, like, watches, for instance. And uh, one of my friends says something like, if he had an X amount of money in his bank account, he would buy a Rolex. He said, but he thinks it's silly to buy a Rolex right now unless you're going to just flip it or whatever. Or just buying it just because. And in my head, I'm like, yeah, because that's a down payment on a house. Like, what are you guys, what are we even talking about right now? Mm-hmm. And uh, so I said something along the lines of like, man, I must be really stingy to myself. I'm still the frugal guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's like, I, I, I'm trying to think the best way to put it. Um, I kind of just told him, like, I must be super stingy to myself still because I could buy that watch a couple times over and I just never would. Because to me, it's like the way I make my money for me to go invest in that. And it's not really an investment. It's something that you like. I'm like, if you're into that, you're into that. You know, if you're into cars, you're into cars. If you're into Mm -hmm. clothes and fashion, you're into clothes and fashion. Everyone's got like their vice. If you're into drinking, everyone's got their thing that they love. You know, some are going to be more positive than others. Some are going to be, you know, I'm going to like it. I might not like it. But to spend the money on a watch, I was like, yo, I must sound super annoying. And I said that in the chat. And I go like, sorry, man. Sorry, guys. I, like, I, I know I am probably sound a little annoying at this point because I'm always talking about like doing the positive thing with your money or investing in this, investing in that. I know it could sound like a broken record. 
and they're probably like at this point, you dude, like just shut them, you know. <laughs> and I'm like, and I said, I said it like jokingly, but at the same time, it's like serious. Like I, I know you guys are probably like tired of hearing me say certain things, but um, you know that. But that's that's kind of like that that mentality that it's, I have. It's what you put value in. I mean, you might have grown up saying, yeah. "Hey, what I value is I want to have my own house." And that's yeah. what you put value in. You're right. That a Rolex could be a down payment. Because I'm the same way, man. I think people would be surprised too if they had the money in their account. If they actually would go buy that watch, because there's there's a good chance if you got there, you'd be like, no, no, I whatever you had to do to get that money in your account, you worked really hard. Yeah. Now to just give it right back for a, a watch, you'd be surprised at how many times you say no. I think that's I think that's where I was getting at. You know, I've learned. Man, my first pro fight, I made $250 to show and $250 to win, and I thought I was rich. I'm in college, full-time student. I thought I made a ton of money, and I realized, like, I spent this four times over just to get to the fight. You know, (laughs) my student loans, I used my student loans to fund my training, to get to the gym, food and all that, and training gear. So I have a little bit different value on money because the sweat equity, the brain cells, my quality of life for the future, I think that weighs heavily in my heart and on my mind whenever I'm spending money. You know, if, if I'm buying something, I want to know that I'm going to use it. I'm not going to waste it. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be something that I could have for years and years to come. Mm-hmm. Something, I always say, like for my dad, such a rich guy. My brothers all think he's like a genius. And I go, if he's so smart, how can we have nothing to show for it? Yeah. All these millions, not one of us have a house in our name. Not one of us have a bank account that we were able to start to use to go to school. And... I'm the guy now who's like preaching to break that cycle. Mm-hmm. Now, with me moving to Vegas for my residency, the money I would have saved from 2019 in taxes, I would have saved like 25 grand. That could have gone into my future kids' bank account. Totally, yeah. Just a startup fund and compound all the way till they're 18. I'm like, little things like that, which people don't think about coming up from where I came from, but just learning through the phase of life, like just meeting all these other people and learning, getting educated and and seeing like how the world actually operates is not just quick sofa money that or mattress money that you hide. You know, it's not. It doesn't really work like that. That's not a realistic thing that's that's fully sustainable unless you like the cartel or some shit. Yeah, as, I, as, I mean, <laughs> sorry to interrupt again. As far as uh, what you just said, um, speaking for myself and from other people I know, my as far as in the minority community, it, there's no emphasis on that. There's no yeah. emphasis on on the knowledge of finances savings you know uh you know the, the small things investments how to mm-hmm. buy a house etc um so i mean you can't really blame somebody either because yeah. it's not it's not embedded in them at a young age you know yeah the, the advice i give people too is like no one should ever know just by looking at you whether you're on your last dollar or you have a million dollars a thousand and, and i've always stuck behind that like i never gone on about and bought like a gucci shirt or the rolex watch and like and maybe i never and i would never like turn my head against someone who did do that if that's something they value they grew up um but i've always been that like you have to learn and talk to me to find out you know where where my wealth is you know but yeah. if you can just look at someone and be like oh he's rich because from head to toe you can tell like i would never want that you know because yeah. because there's also a label that comes with that a reputation that comes with that too the same way if you look at someone like man he is flat broke you yeah. shouldn't know either way you see i, I dress this is actually my own t-shirt you know but um <laughs> Yeah, I wear white and black tees all day. I got a T-shirt that says "Be Great." You know, sim- very simple, clean cut. You know, mm-hmm. it's nothing flashy. I don't have any Gucci anything. I don't have any Minus Louis chain. anything. This this chain. <laughs> my dad was always big into jewelry, 
And uh, he actually had like the big rope chain. So that's kind of like one of the reasons why I wear the big rope chain. It's, fi- it's not a real chain. I'm not spending 24 grand on a, a rope chain for, <laughs> for a look. You know, I, yeah. that would just be ill-advised. But um, me rocking that is just kind of like that tribute to my childhood and everything. And um, after, I forgot which, oh, the Johnny Eduardo fight. After, I, after every fight, I typically try to buy something for myself. It's kind of like my reward. Uh, one fight, I bought a watch. One, um, like a micro quartz watch, like one hundred fifty dollars, yeah, something yeah. like that. I bought a chain, gold, you know. Uh, that was like a thousand, nothing crazy, you know. And um, or I take a trip, you know. So it's always something cool. that I I get to kind of enjoy the fruits of my labor and kind of reset. It's something that makes me feel good, you know. Something small. I don't I don't need to go wearing the craziest things where people are turning their heads just to see. You know, I still want to be able to walk down the street, you know. And uh, as you get more noticeable and uh, you climb that ladder, it, it does get a little bit more difficult. But it's uh, it comes with the territory. But for the most part, you know, I don't want people seeing me walk down the street and they just, like you said, just thinking and assuming that assuming, yeah. I'm a target. You know, I, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you see me walking down the street, you probably just think I'm some regular Joe Smo, and that, that's it. And I'm happy with that. Well, I mean, you probably heard the saying that money just makes you more of what you already were. And, yeah. you know, so whatever you were before, money just gives you a lot more of that. So if you're giving, if you're whatever, that's what it does. But I do want to switch gears and, and talk now um, about right now what's going on. Because you are, I, I know I told you last night, you are at a really fucking great point career-wise and everything going on. I know you have a lot of stuff outside the cage between real estate and, and other stuff that you're doing. I know you have a podcast. First thing first, like... We talked, you got your eye on that July card of the potential of there's someone dropping out, but talk to me right, right now, like today, what, uh, where things are at moving forward. Like what, what you got your eye on for as in terms of a fight both, or both fight. And like, I, I know you're starting to pursue stuff outside of the, yeah. Of too. Um, well for the fight, uh, July 11th is the next fight card, uh, UFC 251, Jose Aldo versus Peter Jan. That's the, for the vacant title. And, Daniel said I would be the next guy up, so I'm going to have the next crack at either one of those guys who wins. So that's the next one. So I'm kind of in a position where I'm trying to s- somewhat stay ready. Mm. I'm not trying to get too heavy. Surprisingly, I, after that workout yesterday, I was 156, which I was really happy about because I was 162 uh, last week. Oh, wow. And uh, once I had my week of fun, I always like to try to unwind, and I have all the things that I got to miss out on just for the weight cut, and uh, I just try to indulge a little bit, have a little fun. I'm actually shocked my body bounced back this quickly, though. It, it bounced back down to something stabilized around 56 to 58, which is good. If I can stay on the 60, then it makes it a lot easier for me to make that weight cut. Um, so that's kind of where I'm at right now, and I'm just trying to stay in shape. we got some guys who, who got fights coming up, so you know, I'm trying to help these guys out as much as I can. And, uh, as, I mean, that's really it for, for the fighting side of things. Mm. Realistically, I would like to just take off the summer – you know, enjoy my Long Island summer <laughs> on the beach because we don't really get a lot of it. And um, just to kind of relax a little bit. I think that's that's ideally what I would like to do. But obviously, when opportunity comes knocking on the door, you, you got to take it, especially when the UFC is offering a, a title shot opportunity. You know, that's life-changing money and it's a life-changing opportunity to 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 win the belt, you know. So, mm. and I just want to make sure I'm giving myself a fair shake. And I, I think I'm a little bit at a disadvantage because I don't know who to prepare for. It's just kind of mm. like just get in shape and... Whichever person you might be fighting, that that's really is. Is there a preference? Uh, I think there's more buildup with myself and Petey Jan, but personally, mm-hmm. I would like to build it up over the span of us being announced with each other, so we can have that real buildup leading up to the fight, not just some 
I just step in, you know. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't give you quite the same promotional ability, I think. But either way, I think they they would make it work somehow, some way. Um, that's also a big step in it, especially with the traveling. It's over in Abu yeah, Dhabi. Like, like 20 hours or something like that. Yeah, that's a big step in and adjusting going over there. Like you have to have some sort of point where you're like, dude, if it hits this threshold, I, I'm just, I'm a no. I'm yeah, a hard no. Yeah, I, I am kind of at a point like that because then I'm going to have to fly in all my teammates. Uh, I would want at least two weeks to get acclimated mm. and uh, to really properly do my weight cut and, and all that good stuff. And um, the food out there, I don't know. I mean, I'm pretty sure they eat chicken and stuff like that. I would hope, <laughs> you know, eggs maybe. <laughs> So I got to figure out my diet side of things and how I would be able to lose the weight efficiently and uh, be com- as comfortable as possible. Because obviously you go into another country, the way things are are a lot different. You know? yeah, so yeah. I have to just make sure I'm, I'm doing the right stuff on, on my behalf to make sure I have the best opportunity for success. And uh, other than that, I mean, I'm doing real estate still. I got my license in New York. Nice. So my first house to one of my best friends from Middle school, we we met in middle school, and uh, we've been friends ever since. Helped him and his girlfriend find a house, and um, that actually closed the week of my fight. No way. So I was happy about that, you know. So I'm get back, and then when when I do get back to New York, we're gonna make sure I stop by for kind of like give him my housewarming gift or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, now I'm looking to buy a house out here in Vegas. Oh, well, nice. not out here, but um, out in Vegas. I think being next to the UFC PI with the Raider Stadium coming over and things like that, I think it's just a perfect opportunity to invest. A lot of fighters come in and out. They, they need places to stay, Airbnb, all, all that good stuff, um, right by the strip. So Smart. there's a lot of pros and, and uh, no well, pros and anything. <laughs> and saving taxes, man. Yeah. The, the tax burden alone is going to be a huge, huge benefit. So uh, I'm excited about that. And I'm hoping to, after my next fight, maybe – you know, win the belt, perfect world, win the belt, and then really try to venture off into, like, a business aspect. And, you know, I got my IRA. I got my SEPT IRA. Uh, I got all those things set up, and, I, you know, I'm finally contributing some serious money into those accounts. So setting myself up on that front. Like I said, man, I don't really spend, I don't really spend money. You know, the, most, the, most, the biggest expense I ever bought was a house, and I just bought my Tesla. So with mm-hmm. that, that was more of a reward. I mean, and that was, like, something that was – needed and I was spending so much money on my car fixing it nonstop and to get this pretty much maintenance free you know so uh, that's been a reward for me winning my fights and again like I said I always either buy myself something or I take a trip and that was kind of like what would you just compounding everything into one so I had the money you know I treated myself and uh, but I want to after the next fight I want to you know win the belt and then get into like a, a business type of thing, like a real business, like mm-hmm. either a restaurant or a lounge. I don't really want to do a nightclub. Nightclubs are tough. And I yeah. think it's <laughs> mentally, I don't know. I'm, I'm not really into the nightlife as much as I used to be, but I think a nice lounge, restaurant, something like that, that I could have my hand in, I could call like either I own part of it or something like that. I think that would be cool. Shit, we um, got to talk then. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's no, our, that's sure. our backyard. That's our yeah, yeah, that's a playground sure. we're in. I'm I'm looking to do something like that, you know, long-term passive income, stuff like that. You know, anything that I could diversify my portfolio a little bit. That's smart. I'm pretty sure anybody listening to, to this is going to be like, like amazed at the fact that you're already looking that far down the road. Yeah. Considering, I mean, you just turned 30, right? And uh, 31 next month. 31, and, and some would say you haven't even hit the prime of your career yet. You're still yeah. on the upswing. I mean, and especially after the performance you just had, I mean, and Sanhagen to a lot where he was considered your toughest challenge because he was well-rounded in all aspects of his game. 
and for you to go in there and dominate him the way you did, I mean, basically unscathed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You so, know, the one thing I will say about that this, that last fight is uh, I heard his friend died on the same day it was a fight. Oh, wow. So oh, this just came out. I don't know how true it is. I, I got to actually go look it up and see if it's um, if that holds any water or not. But um, I don't know. You know, so for me, I'm almost, you know, obviously it was a great performance, but I want to make sure that performance was based on me and not like him being off, you know? So I, that's, that's just how I think. I'm so cerebral about everything. I want to make sure my performance isn't tainted because yeah. Water down. he wasn't in yeah. the right headspace type of thing. Yeah, you know, yeah. I want to make sure that was the best right. Corey Sanhagen that I fought. And that would give me more confidence in knowing that I am just that good. Like, I know I'm good. Don't get yeah. me wrong. I know if I get on anybody's back, it's it's good luck trying to get me off. You know, you're going to need, like, some type of back rake or something to peel me off of you because I, <laughs> I, I'm not. You, it's good, just good luck, man. And uh, I would think no matter what mindset he was in, that would have happened anyway if I got on his back. I think I would finish him regardless. But just the, his approach in the beginning of the fight, that's the only part that's still, like, questionable for me because mm. He threw a kick. He threw two kicks, which ideally against a wrestler who's backing you up in a cage, you don't really, ideally you wouldn't want to throw a kick. Mm-hmm. Cody Stamen did the same thing, and then he ended up getting taken down off of that. Same thing, uh, Corey Sanhagen did the same thing, and then he gets taken down off of that pretty much. And uh, that's just how analytical I am about my approach with everything. You know, I want to make sure uh, that was the best version of, of himself. And obviously everyone goes into the fight with some type of, situation looming over the head same thing with me with the protests and all this yeah i'm the black athlete going into the fight you know mm-hmm. so i'm the one dealing with all these questions that Sandy Higgins might not have to talk about but i'm the one doing all the talking about this which is a distraction from what's the main task at hand which is the fight you know this is life-changing implications on the line and uh for either one of us to have to go reset you know obviously he's still young so for me i'm a little bit older so i'm just glad i came out on the right side of uh of things for that one. I think what you just described is that's definitely like a world champion mindset because you're picking apart your wins, you pick apart your loss. Even at that, like you had a fashionable win, you're still picking apart. Yeah, that's a championship mindset, in my opinion. So, I think that's uh, that's unique, man. You should feel nothing but uh, good about the w- the way you're looking at that a win or a loss in in that mm-hmm. way. Um, now, I know we're kind of we're, we're we're winding down, and we always try to wind down with the same uh, question, and hopefully we can get your cliff notes on this. But we always ask guys. Um, and you have a, such a history um, personally and professionally um, that I know we, we just touched on. But if there's somebody out there listening or watching who is pursuing the same career or is, is, is in the earlier days, the high school days, the college days of their career and um, wanting to go down your path, what is your most consolidated piece of advice for them um, in pursuing it? I think the biggest thing for me that I would pass on would be being a student of the game and not being open-minded and willing to learn from – just about everybody. You know, I started with YouTube watching a ton of videos and stuff like that. And uh, I think everyone has a piece of something that they can offer. And I think that's the tough part, being coachable and being able to receive information. This time and time again, where I have guys come into my class that I teach at the gym, I teach at my gym for free. I just, I love teaching. It's helped me it's really cool. as a fighter and um, being able to share the stuff that I do well with these guys and my knowledge from just being in the game for so long I, you can see the growth with everybody else. And it's just, again, for me, it's just paying forward, you know? Uh, so I would, 
I see these guys who come in sometimes and you show them something and they're really just not coachable. You know, you, you, you tell them to do one thing and they're doing their own thing. You, you give a drill mm. and then they're doing their own kind of drill. And then you look over and you're like, clearly you're, you're the one running the class and you're not in my class right now. You know, I, I think there's somewhat of a respect factor. Like if I go to someone's class, even if I'm a, I'm a black belt, if, we're, if I take a beginner's class and you're showing a shrimp, I'm going to do the shrimp. Because it's your class. I'm I'm here on your time. I'm doing what you're teaching. I'm not going to go, I know this already. I don't have to do this. I'm, I'm not like that. I think a lot of people kind of do that because they know how to throw a jab or they know how to throw a one-two. It's not about that. It's about being teachable, being able to work on things that people want you to work on. And I think that's what breeds success, not just um, thinking you know it all. You know, there's some people who think they know it all, and I think that's the tough part. You, you almost kind of block your own blessings because... How many times are you going to do the things that you hate doing? You know, mm-hmm. you always want to do the things you're great at. You know, so many people hate wrestling. They hate jujitsu, but they'll do striking all day long, but they neglect the one part, the one area that they need work in. So if there's any advice, it would be just be a student of the game. Trust your coaches. You know, um, obviously you don't want to have yes men around you. And uh, I think just being honest with yourself and your assessment of your abilities. And I think some people could be a little delusional on what they're actually looking at. And, uh, <laughs> I've had that a couple of times where I had to like ask someone like, are you, sh- are you sure that's what you saw? Cause you know, I saw this, but I just want to make sure this is what you saw. So you're giving them an opportunity to kind of reassess what they looked at so that they could be honest with themselves. You know, yeah. for me, it's like, Hey, this is not hurting me. You know, I, I know what I'm looking at already. You on the other hand, you might, I need, I'm trying to pull you to the water and hopefully you drink. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really it. So I, I think if there's any piece of advice is if you want to be good at something, man, you got to put the, the hours in and outwork. Everybody, because we all got the same 24 hours in a day. I think student of the game is so, it's, it's such underrated right now. Like, just being educated is underrated, and there's you can never be too educated on anything. A student of the game, just like life in general. I, and, and with this, like our podcast platform, it's great seeing it growing, but it was strictly started on be, wanting to stay a student of the game and learning, like having people on, you know, that come from different walks of life and becoming more educated. And I walk away from every single podcast I tell people, it feels like I just read one or two books from front to back, you know, because of what I learned. And it's crazy even right now. We didn't want to pivot the brand too much, what we talk about, but obviously with the COVID-19 and now with the protests, whatnot, it's been great because we brought people on to talk about COVID-19 and like specifically what, like no misinformation we're seeing out there, like what's going on. And and this Thursday, we haven't put it out yet, but this Thursday we have one of the top uh, black community leaders in San Diego and he runs a, a, a nonprofit youth uh, boxing program to keep kids out of gangs. And it's specifically in like uh, the traditionally minority neighborhoods. His dad was Archie Moore, the legendary boxer um, coming on Thursday because before I start spitting out my opinions, I want to learn. I want to become educated. And next week we're sitting yeah. down with someone from the police department. He's referring someone, a high ranking police. I want to learn directly from someone who's in it, in it from the horse's mouth, what's going on. And I think like student of the game couldn't describe more like, my overall, like everything. And, and you can never, never not learn enough. Yeah, I, I agree. It's crazy. I agree. But unless you got something else, man. No, man, I just wanted to make sure he plugs his podcast too because I know you guys yeah, got yeah. that going on right now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Weekly Scratch Podcast. Cool. Try to do it every week because the fights are always every week. So it gives me something to talk about all the time. And uh, you know, I talk about some real estate stuff and just anything educational that, you know, I go on a little bit of a rant sometimes and uh, – Rants are good. Yeah, it's sure. Good, <laughs> drop some knowledge, you know, drop some gems when I can. So uh, that's pretty much it, man. You know, real estate, 
Training, living a dream right now. Living a dream. Hell yeah, man. Well, we'll try taking it easy on t- on you tonight since yeah. <laughs> uh, last night. But man, it was truly an honor having you on. Super, super pumped to see uh, the future and watch it unfold. So we hey, got to do this again one, soon. One more question. You, you, Marab, who, who wins the grappling match? <laughs> <laughs> and my man had, what, 16 takedowns? Yeah, well, uh, 13 in his last one. 13. Yeah, 13. he's got the record in only six fights. And uh, GSP is at like 90-something, 92. For career. And that's his career. <laughs> and this guy's only had six fights. It's insane. It's really insane. He's the machine for yeah. a reason. Yeah. That was incredible to watch. Man. I don't know if that answered the question, though. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't get the <laughs> answer. But. It's, a, it's a fun battle. I'll say that. It's a Diplomatic fun. answer. I like yeah, it a lot. A fun battle. Well, hey, that, that was, a, was a great talk. You know how to find uh, the show. Subscribe in the we show.com. Again, thank you, man. Appreciate it. Appreciate thank it, you guys. Yep. That's good.